Good morning. For some of you, it was probably the longest 30 seconds of your life. <laughs> it was probably awkward for you because we live in a culture that needs and craves noise. From going into stores, shopping, you've got the music playing in the background. You hop in the car, what do you turn on? A radio. I actually called a couple dealerships and asked them, do you even make cars that don't come with radios anymore? They're like, no. <laughs> Why did you do that? Background music, noise, you know, while you're at home. Oh, we got some people coming over. Let's turn on some music. Let's get some noise going. Even when you're standing in an elevator, there's got to be music for some reason. You know, and now it's got its own little category of music. Elevator music. Noise, it just continues to go. I mean, you sit with someone and you're having a conversation and there's a lull in the conversation. It's awkward. Oh, boy, I hope somebody says something soon. What can I talk about? I already did the weather. Uh, come on, something, something. Noise, constantly. Even, even in church, you know, I mean, there's the, the typical time where the, the pastor's praying and the band's playing in the background, and, you know, there's, there's always noise going. Now, not that noise is a bad thing, right? Music can definitely help set a mood. Driving along, you, you're going someplace, it can get you in the right mood. Often when I come to church on Sundays, I have some worship music going uh, as I'm driving in, just to get me in that state of mind, that worshipful mood. When you're shopping, you know, different stores play different kinds of music to get you in a, a different kind of mood. Apparently, there's a different kind of music that makes you want to buy a power saw versus buying some new clothes. I don't know. People do research on this kind of stuff. It's crazy. And even music can help drive home a point. I, I really appreciate you, Dave, and the band this morning. And even just the music and the, the singing and everything just really helped push to this point this morning. Even trying to push through those lulls in conversation to start talking about something. I've had some great conversations that started with a really random off-the-wall topic. You know, someone just like, boy, I need to fill the void and I'm just going to start talking about something. And it leads to like some really cool conversations. But at the same time, noise makes it hard to hear, doesn't it? In a restaurant, sometimes the music is so loud that it's hard to hear the person talking that's sitting right across from you. In our conversation, it can be hard to hear a sensitive issue that the other person really wants to discuss. If you continue to talk, how are you going to hear them want to start talking about something? And in our prayers can be hard to hear the voice of God. Go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're continuing on in our series. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab the one in front of you, open that up. If you don't have a Bible at all, take it home with you. Or you can also look at the handout. The entire passage is written on the handout this morning. James 1, starting in verse 19 says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for this morning. Thankful for the opportunity to be here with people that just desire to know you deeper. God, especially this morning, as we're talking about being quick to listen and slow to speak, I ask God that the words that come out of my mouth are yours and not mine. And God, that as we sit here and digest your word, God, let us hear from you. And not hear what we want to hear, but hear what you desire for us to hear this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this. He begins with, my dear brothers, take note of this. And there's a lot of space on your handout this morning. There's an opportunity for you to just write. Some people, I know it helps them listen to, to just write as they're going. And if that helps you, man, just jot some things down. Jot some notes down. Jot some Bible verses that we're going to be talking about as we go. Anything that will help you continue to digest this. But he begins and says, my dear brothers, take note of this. The book of James was written to fellow believers. He says that right from verse 1. And 15 times in the book, he reminds us that this is who this letter is for. My brothers, my brothers, brothers. And he continues to say that over and over and over. And it's talking about fellow believers. But three times in the book of James, he adds this other word. In in some translations, it's translated as dear. In other translations, it's translated as beloved. My dear brothers, my beloved brothers. Uh, The Greek word there is agapetos, which... You can hear the root of that word, it's agape, which is this unconditional love. It's talking about beloved, prized, my beloved brothers, my prized brothers, the the ones that I love, the ones that I am passionate about. And in fact, this same Greek word is used by God the Father in the baptism of Jesus. When he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here is James' writing, and he uses this word, my dear brothers, my beloved brothers. It should cause us to pay more attention to what he has to say. And it shows his passion, not only for the people that he's talking to, but also the topic that he is addressing. It's one thing to say, hey, guys, listen to this. It's another thing to say, hey, you guys... I love you so much. Listen to this. Pay attention. So he's trying to really draw us in and help us focus on this topic. My dear brothers, take note of this. Then he continues. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's a challenge for some of us, isn't it? To think before you speak. The opposite can get you into trouble. I'd like to stand up here and say that, man, I'm, I'm great at really thinking through what I say before I say it, 
but my parents are sitting right there, and all of my sisters, and, and they know. <laughs> I have a real problem with this. I just let my mouth go sometimes. I was dating this girl in college. Her name was Jen. Jen and I, before we started dating, shared a joy for these, this children's audio series put out by Focus on the Family called Adventures in Odyssey. And, and we both loved listening to them, even like as we had gone into college. And we like really enjoyed like the characters and stuff like that. And there's this one main character, Connie. As I was getting to know Jen's family, she was telling me the names of her brothers and sisters. She has a large family. She said, and our, my youngest sister, her name is Connie. And I go, it's not named after Connie in Adventures in Odyssey, is it? She goes, yeah, actually, it, she is. <sighs> Oops. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't really think through that well, realizing, gosh, maybe she actually was. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to one of our high school students, and we had, just, we had just had some time where the guy high schoolers got to talk with the, the girl high school leaders, and the girls got to talk with the guy high school leaders. And it was a great opportunity for us to talk to the students about how the opposite gender thinks and, and all this kind of stuff. And so... Obviously, the ladies talked a lot to the guys about, you know, being really careful about what you say to women. And so I was talking with one of the high school students after that and said, you know, how was that for you? You know, did you, did you really catch what they were saying? He goes, yeah. Actually, I've been trying to be really careful about thinking before I speak, especially on Facebook. He pointed that out, and I thought that was really wise of him to say something like that. He's just a freshman in high school and said, I've been really trying to be careful on Facebook. You know, before I type something and just hit enter, just to stop and think about what I'm saying, think about what I'm broadcasting to the world about who I am. And I thought that was really wise. And uh, he's another guy that has a hard time just thinking before he speaks, but it's been neat to see him grow in that area. The Bible points a lot to this idea of thinking before you're speaking, being quick to listen and slow to speak. I've got five different Proverbs that I wanted to show you here. Proverbs 10, 19. And you can just write down references if you want to, to to come back to these later. Proverbs 10.19 says this, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Again, think before you speak. Proverbs 17.27a says that a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. 1728, this is one of my favorites. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Similar to the little saying you may have heard, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. <laughs> and then finally, Proverbs 2511 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So the Bible reinforces this idea over and over and over again of using your words wisely, using your words carefully. We've been going through this series on James and we've been kind of having this Western theme and we've been having different cowboys dumbs or cowboy wisdom. And so I, I wanted to show you a cowboy wisdom here. Sheriff yesterday? I mean, he was like co 
goes home to some lady, like, and he has a wife. I mean, isn't that like against one of them Ten Commandments or something about adultery or something like that? Have you all met my daughter? Never miss a good chance to shut up. All right, there you go. <laughs> Give it up for the high schoolers, huh? They, they put that together. So if you didn't catch it, he was talking about, man, that, that sheriff, he's really cozying up to some lady, but he's married. And sure enough, the lady that he was cozying up to was his daughter. Never miss a good chance to shut up. Close that mouth. Think before you speak. I had a great opportunity to learn about this when I was a junior in high school, I took a missions trip up to Chase, British Columbia, and we worked with a Native American tribe that was up there. Before we went and actually worked with these people, we spent a couple days learning about their culture, learning about who they are, learning about how they think. We were told a couple things that just blew me away, but the biggest thing that I walked away from this trip with was this idea that in this tribe... Words have very little value. Very little value. In fact, we were told, you know what, when you go and, and hang out with, with some of the kids, we were there to, to put on like a vacation Bible school for the kids and just hang out with them. They said, when you go to hang out with the kids, don't expect them to say anything to you. And it is very okay for you not to say anything with them. There was one day where I grabbed this one guy and said, hey, let's, let's go for a walk. And so we went for, for a hike and found this log and, and sat down. And we probably sat there for a good 20 or 30 minutes, neither of us saying a single word to the other person, just sitting there. And that, in and of itself, communicated something so deep to them. The, the, the presence of the other person there was really what mattered to them, much more so than words being said. In fact, the, the missionaries that we were working with, when they first moved up there, the people of the tribe said to the missionaries, we just want you to know that we are not going to listen to a single thing that you say until one of your family dies here. Because that will show us that you're really committed to this group, to who we are. Until somebody dies, we're not listening to a single thing that you say. And the missionary said back to them, okay. And they're still there, still ministering, still trying to, to build relationships. But they realize that to really minister to these people, they're there for the long haul. And that words in and of themselves are just not valued. But the presence of somebody there. I really learned from that trip how to communicate in other ways besides speaking. And I learned how to value words and not use them rashly. Still working on it. That was a real eye-opening trip for me. Go ahead and flip over. Keep your uh, finger in James, but I want you to flip over to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. James points out uh, a lot of great people in the faith, a lot of people from the Old Testament that we can look at and learn from. As we go, we're going to hear about Abraham, and we're going to hear about Rahab. In James 5, 17a, 
James starts talking about this guy, Elijah. And I love how he begins. He says this. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, he's using him as an example, but you know what? He was no more special than any of us. He was a man just like us. And then he uh, goes on to point out something great that Elijah did. He was talking about Elijah praying for God to hold back the rain, and, and God was able to do that. Here in, the, in, in chapter 19, before we get to chapter 19, I want to give you a little history of where we've been. So, so Elijah prays for rain and asks God to stop the rain. God does. But then he goes up onto this mountain called Carmel. And if you don't know the story, he has these prophets of this other god called Baal, a false god, pray to their god and ask their god to light this altar on fire. Well, they pray all day and it doesn't work. Then Elijah says, well, I've got my own little altar here. Hey, douse it with water, by the way, and make it really, really hard for it to be even accidentally lit. And uh, then he prays to God and says, God, show these people that you are the true God. And fire comes down from heaven, ignites the altar, burns the stones, burns like, like the entire altar is gone. And it's just this huge, amazing event. And here Elijah is able to see how powerful his God is. What's his reaction? He runs away. At the beginning of chapter 19, Elijah runs away in fear of his life. And he's ready to give up. He asks God to kill him. He says, God, you know, after this whole thing, now the, the, the people are really angry at all, all of us who follow after you. They, they've killed everybody else, and I'm the only one, and now they're going to come and kill me. So he runs away. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And Elijah went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah sees God, hears the voice of the Lord, but in a way that he didn't expect. Each one of us should be quick to listen, to listen to God and slow to speak. When you're quick to listen, when you're slow to speak, first of all, you allow the one speaking to feel valued and heard. I'm still learning this in my marriage, and Laura, sorry. Please be patient with me as I continue to learn to shut my mouth. I'd appreciate that. 
Now you all can keep me accountable. Please. But also, when you're quick to listen, slow to speak, you'll be able to hear God's voice. Elijah finally heard God's voice in the stillness. Once the noise of the wind and the earthquake and the fire was gone, Elijah heard God's voice. We can't hear God's voice when we're talking. How often do you just sit and listen? How often do you ask God to speak to you and then actively wait? Some of you may be saying that you've been having a hard time hearing God's voice. Let me ask you this. Are you listening? Really listening. But James doesn't stop there. He says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Title for this this morning is Conclusions. Jumping not recommended. Don't jump to conclusions. First of all, don't jump to conclusions with others. Don't jump to conclusions with others. Jumping to conclusions is what keeps the American sitcom alive. Right? If people didn't jump to conclusions, TV shows would be pretty boring. How many times have you seen someone walk into a room and someone else is in there and they say, it's not what you think, regardless of what the situation is going on. There's people there jumping to conclusions. Laura and I find ourselves yelling at the TV every now and then, saying, well, will you guys talk to each other? You know, that would make a, a half-hour show be about, like, three minutes. You know, if they just, oh, I thought you meant this. Oh, no, I actually meant this. Oh, okay, great. And that's the end of the show. I, I see why they have to, like, drag it out a little bit. But jumping to conclusions definitely breeds awkward situations. But as James is pointing out, jumping to conclusions also breeds anger. We are too quick in thinking that we know what the other person is communicating, and we allow ourselves to get angry. I'm sure that's happened to you many times. It happens to me often. In fact, later in this letter, James points out that fights and quarrels come from selfishness. And when you jump to conclusions about what the other person is saying, you're being selfish. You're putting yourself, your understanding, your experience, your feelings, or maybe even your time. I don't have time to hear the rest of what you have to say. I'm just going to think that you're saying this. You're putting that before the other person. So James is challenging you that instead of jumping to conclusions with other people, give them the benefit of the doubt. Most people don't have evil intentions. Let me say that again. Most people don't have evil intentions. They don't desire to hurt you. So a couple extra minutes of listening can clear a lot of things up and save you from many more minutes or maybe even hours of arguing. So don't jump to conclusions. Maybe even ask clarifying questions if you need to. Maybe you've listened and they've stopped talking. Well, ask a clarifying question or two or five or six to really try to get what the other person is trying to say to you. Be slow to anger. Don't jump there. James continues on and points out that man's anger 
does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. He points out that it's man's anger. Let's take a look, uh, just a little look at what our anger is. First of all, our anger is selfish. Our anger is selfish. Again, James 4, 1-2 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Our anger is selfish. Oftentimes I, I find myself so angry at even other drivers. I'm sure that's never happened to anyone else in this room. I get frustrated. Why? Because they're in my way. Why? Because they're not going as fast as I want them to. Or because they're not going as slow as I want them to. They got in the lane that I was in. You know, whatever it was, it's very selfish. It revolves around me and what I want. Our anger is selfish. Also, our anger is prideful. Prideful. Proverbs 13.10 Proverbs 13, 10 says that pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Pride only breeds quarrels. Look how great I am. Look how awesome I am. Oh, no, no, no. I'm better. This is a problem that guys have a lot, competing with each other, one-upping each other. Usually leads to anger, frustration, quarrels. Third, our anger is a temptation. Our anger is a temptation. Ephesians 4:26 to 27 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you st- while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give Satan an opportunity to push you from being tempted to sinning. To push you just from having something sit in you to having it take over you. Our anger is a temptation. God's anger is very different than ours. I found myself even in in what I thought was righteous anger being, being pushed to the point of desiring to sin. When I was a junior in high school, I was studying civil rights. Civil rights is hard to study because you see people do things to other people just because of the color of their skin. And boy, man, that, that just made me angry. And, I, and the more I studied, the more I got angry at some of these people. But then my anger didn't stop there, and I wanted to, to do things to those people. I wanted to hurt them. I wanted to you know, make sure that they knew what it felt like. And I found myself going beyond just having a righteous anger to, to moving towards sin. Our anger is a temptation. So what's the solution? How do, how do we deal with this anger? The solution, as James points out, is humility. Humility. 
When we're humble, selfishness disappears. When we're humble, we're putting other people before ourselves. No, you go ahead. You know what? I probably don't know how to drive very well. I'm probably the one that's being the jerk. You know what? It doesn't matter how great I am. I'm laying down my pride. We're humble. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We talked about not jumping to conclusions with others. Well, also, don't jump to conclusions with God. Don't jump to conclusions with God. This was part of Elijah's problem as we read about him running away. Here God was so amazing and so powerful, and then all of a sudden he thinks that he has to take care of his own life? Elijah, wake up. Hello? God just sent fire down from heaven and burn up not only wood and an offering, but rocks. Have you ever tried to burn a rock? He consumed rocks. Like, this just blew me away. But Elijah somehow thinks that God isn't powerful enough to to save his life. And so he runs away. I'll take care of protecting myself, God. Thanks. And he runs away. And then he starts wanting to listen for God. God says, hey, go on out. I'm going to pass by. Oh, here's this mighty wind. This has got to be God. No, not him. Oh, here's this crazy earthquake. God's got to be speaking in this earthquake. No, not God. Oh, here's this huge fire. God's got to be speaking in this fire. No, not God. God shows up in a gentle whisper. And what I want you to walk away from, from looking at Elijah here is God speaks in ways that we don't expect. Often. So don't jump to conclusions with God. Far be it from us to ever think that we just have come to know God. Like, sure, the more we dive into his word, the more we study, the more we read, the better we get to know God. But don't ever think that you've got God nailed down. Oh, yeah, I know how God works now. I've got it all figured out. Not a chance. Don't jump to conclusions with God. In two ways, I'm going to point out. First of all, don't jump to conclusions with God in our response to trials. in our response to trials. Job's friends had a, had a problem with this. As Job was, uh, I don't even know how to say it. Job was just, everything was taken away from him. Here was a man who was faithful, who, who loved God, who continued to want to serve him, follow after him. And he was tested. Everything was taken away from him. Everything he owned, even his children, were taken away. He was struck with a horrible disease. And his friends showed up. And after sitting with him for a week, not saying a word, they foolishly opened their mouths and said, Well, 
Job, time to confess. Clearly, you have sinned royally. And God is punishing you. This is, of course, this is why this is happening. And they just quickly jump to the conclusion that if you're going through something horrible, that God is punishing you. And we can also say, well, then, you know, if things are going great, then God is clearly pleased with you. But don't jump to conclusions when trials come. Don't think that God is punishing you. Don't think that there's something wrong in your relationship with God. Don't jump to conclusions of what you think is good. Just last week, Dave preached on the fact that every good and perfect gift is from above. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Remember that God's good is different than ours. God's idea of what is good is very different than what our idea of good is. Maybe you've prayed for something and God has said no. And then later in your life you see, wow, I'm glad that God didn't give me that because he had something better in mind. Remember this, that God will always give you exactly what you want or something better. But that better is not our idea of better. That good is not our idea of good. Don't jump to conclusions with God. Now remember, James chapter 1, in the very beginning, it says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. James talks about how these trials are here to develop perseverance so that we can be mature, complete, not lacking anything. God is doing a good work as he sends us through different trials. So listen to how verse 19 sounds when you're thinking about this with this idea of trials in mind. My dear brothers, take note of this. You may be in the midst of a trial right now, so take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When you're going through a trial, when you're going through a difficult time, that's a hard thing to begin with. But James is encouraging us, hey, when you're going through a difficult time, when you're going through a trial, listen. God is trying to get your attention. Be slow to speak. Be slow to become angry. Don't think that God is punishing you. Don't think that God is upset with you. God is doing a good work in you. So don't jump to the conclusion when you're in the midst of a trial that God is not being good. Rather, consider it joy. God is working in you. As you're going through difficult times, as you're going through trials, God is working in you. God wants to develop you. God wants to grow you. So our response to trials should be to listen, should be slow to speak, rather than quickly getting angry. The other thing I wanted to point out in not jumping to conclusions with God is how we read his word. 
See God's word fresh every time you read it. Don't assume that you know what God wants you to hear. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. And as you sit down and read God's word, you're like, man, I've read this like 50 times. Man, I've read this like 100 times. And you feel like you know what you're supposed to get out of this passage. Don't read God's word that way. Because God may have something brand new to teach you in this passage that you've read time after time after time. I've gotten the most out of my quiet times when I try to read God's word fresh. God, show me something new. Man, here's a passage I've read so many times. Give me something new out of it. Give me something fresh out of it. Show me something. My approach to this passage was even this way. I love the book of James. I've taught it many times. I've read it countless times. But as I sat down and started studying for today, I said, God, show me something new. Reveal to me what you want us to hear. St. Augustine was having a theological discussion. And he said this, Neither let me hear thee, nor thou hear me, but let us both hear the apostle. I love that. Here he's dialoguing with someone about what God's word is saying. And he's saying, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want you to hear what I have to say. But rather, let us both hear what the Bible has to say. Pointing it back to God and his word. So how do we do this? How do we be quick to listen? How do we be slow to speak? How do we be slow to become angry? First of all, take the opportunities that are given to you. Laura and I had a couple of days this week where we got to go up to a camp, Hume Lake. And uh, I knew going into it, man, this was going to be a great time for me to get some time alone. And uh, one of the afternoons, Laura and I just kind of both went our separate ways and um, had some time with God. I said, man, here's a rare opportunity where I just get to listen to God. So, So for a good hour... I was silent. That was difficult. But I really challenged myself, challenged my mind to be at peace and just to listen to what God had to say to me. Maybe our opportunities look a little different than that. Driving to work, maybe you've got a 20-minute, 30-minute commute. Great. Talk to God. Listen to Him. Maybe uh, the kids are finally down for a nap. There's a great opportunity for you to just stop and listen in the silence to God. And in just a couple minutes, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to listen to God. But beyond that, you need to be disciplined to make other opportunities to listen to God. Because in our noise-crazed culture, It's really difficult to do that sometimes. It's really difficult uh, to find those moments of silence. But you know what? Maybe that means getting out of your house and taking a walk around the block. 
Maybe that means just going and singing in your car in the driveway. You know what? I'm just going to sit in here for a little while, close the door, and just find some peace and quiet so that I can hear God. Because you'll never hear from God if you don't give him the opportunity to speak. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 2 says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Matthew 6, 7-8 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God knows exactly what you need, exactly what is on your heart. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some time right now and it's going to be silent. There's not going to be music playing. I'm not going to be saying anything. We're going to have a time of silence. And my challenge to you is that in this silence, listen to what God has to say. Don't fill the time with you talking to Him. But rather, just sit there and humbly ask God, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me? Let's take some time right now. God, we, uh, we're thankful that you desire to speak to us. But God, it's difficult to get those times of silence, to get those times where we can listen to you. I ask God that you... Help us in that. Help us see the opportunities that you lay before us to be silent, to hear your voice. And God, let us take them. Let us not be tempted just to fill the quiet with noise. But God, even though it's uncomfortable, Let us sit in the silence to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a discipline that takes some practice, being silent. Maybe that was a little uncomfortable for you. Maybe that was something you haven't done in a long time. Or maybe that's something you do often. 
my challenge to you is to find some times this week to approach the throne in silence. But this is a first step. Get this Get, get going with this and, and, and continue to practice this and continue to move forward with this, really desiring to listen to God. But as we're going to find out just next week, it's just the beginning. Because James pushes us even further than that. We're, we're going to hear next week how he says to not merely listen to the Word, but, but to do what it says. But we can't know what God is asking of us if we haven't heard him tell us. So begin with that. This week, really challenge yourself, really push yourself to listen to God's voice, to hear what he has to say to you. Find time in silence. Carve them out so that you can hear God.